as you find your seats. You can turn in your Bibles to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. Today, we embark on a 10-week journey together, a sermon series entitled Orangewood's 10 Deadly Sins. I've been wrestling with God about this. I said, Lord, why don't we do seven? It's a nice biblical number. I couldn't come up with seven. I said, well, you know, well, maybe we'll do ten. At one time we had the dirty dozen. Someone suggested a baker's dozen. Good news, we've got it down to ten. But i got to tell you, this has really been very, very difficult. Because you got to know one thing. Whatever I say to you on Sunday, God has been saying to me, all week long. And I'm going to give you so many opportunities over the next 10 weeks to say, who in the world is Jeff? I know him. As if he's any better than us. And so let's start off by saying guilty is charged. Okay? Uh, I'm going to uh, preach on things that you got to understand that the, the Lord is, is wrestling with me about. And so if there's a passion about this, Know that if there's a passion that comes from my own conviction, is it a deal? And I trust that the Holy Spirit's going to be thumping on your heart. And as he does, know that he's thumping on mine. I'm nervous. I really am. i saying, God, I want to preach this. And I'm worried about your response. And so I, I think that I'm going to wear this. Just so... As we go through this, you throw anything, you yell at me. I asked the athletic department for a bucket that looked like a helmet, and they gave me large. Do they not know how big-headed Jeff Jakes is? <laughs> nice amen. I'm not kidding you. Um, It's not going to be easy. We're going to hold a mirror up, and uh, we're going to want to run. And some of you I talked to this week, I'm like, will you pray for me? Because, God, do you really want me to say this? I mean, is this really true? And I want you to know this, too. It's very, very important. It's hard for me to decipher sometimes. I mean, what's really of God? Some things are clear. When God's clear, I want to be, I mean, I want to hit you right between the eyes. But I don't want to be on a soapbox. And I I could do that. I'm a sinner. I could do that. I I don't want to be on a soapbox. I don't want to have a personal agenda here. So do me a favor. If you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, and he will, because he's going to be faithful. And if you see your life need to take some different directions, and you will, because God's word is going to come back with fruit. Pray for me, too. And if you, if you really love Jesus and you really love this church and you love your pastor, pray that he gives me boldness. Pray that, that what he's broken my heart about, I'll come with passion. Is it a deal? Okay. One of my favorite songs, and it has a little dance with it, um, and I sing it almost every week, and it's one of our greatest strengths, and it's one of the things that I'm most proud about is this. I want you to... Fill in the blank, 
This is group participation. For those of you who haven't been here, I want you to know how true we believe this because you're going to hear a great response. Do you hear me? You're going to hear a great response from the congregation. And we're Presbyterians. And so a great response to us might be, okay, it might be a, but come on, ready? We are, woo, awesome. That was a great response. Okay, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you. We are family. And I think if you walk into the doors of Orangewood, you will have to say one of the greatest strengths of that church is family. And I think that a visitor would have to say, we believe it. We believe we're family. Not just uh, individual families, but a corporate family that care about one another. You guys do a great job. Love one another. Especially when we're wounded. Especially when we're hurting. And I think that's wonderful because in God's word, all of believers are family. We, as the church of the living God, should be reflecting the reality that we are family. It's amazing how many incredible families that God has blessed this church with. How many young people? How many teenagers? How many families? I think there's like 470 family units. And by the way, if you are single again or single, this message is for you too. And I love the fact that our family includes you and you are as much a family as anybody else. And if I ever make you feel like you're not, forgive me, it's not true. But we are family. As a matter of fact, we have Christian leaders that are, are very big Christian leaders in our country. They have incredible influence in Washington. I recently saw a huge building in Colorado Springs that will remind us continually that we live in a day and an age and a culture that tells Christians that we need to focus on the family. Anybody heard that? That with Christianity, our focus should be on the family. Well, I want to ask this question as we begin. Are our families out of focus? Have we, have we focused on the family at the expense of focusing on God? Have we started there and try to, try to bring God into the focus as we focus on the family unit instead of focusing on God and let Him focus our family unit? The question that we really got to wrestle with today is this. Have we made our families uh, an idol? Talking to a pastor from the same city as Focus on the Family says that I believe in the suburbs the number one idolatry that we face is the idolatry of our families. Have we focused on them so much that at the expense of focusing on our family, we've lost focus with God? Let me ask this question. It's pretty hard as we begin. Are we looking to God to fix, to bless, to protect our families, but not really wanting Him to mess them up? Not really wanting Him to get in the way? It's amazing what we're about ready to read in Scripture. And I didn't write it. And Jesus said it. He's told me to communicate it to you. I'm going to try. But turn with me to Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 27. If Thomas Jefferson were here today, this is definitely a passage that would not be in his Bible. If you don't know, Thomas Jefferson apparently threw away the things he didn't like. I had the Jefferson Bible. This would be a difficult one. 
Let's be mindful that we're reading God's word. Maybe hard, but it's his word. Maybe difficult to swallow, but it's true. It may be hard to apply, but it, it won't lead us astray. It's infallible. It's inerrant. Luke 14, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, I got a problem with Jesus right away because he doesn't seem to understand evangelism. He doesn't understand that tell people the easy stuff in the beginning. <laughs> you know, I mean, you got a large crowd with you. I mean, there could be some really, some really cool damage done for the kingdom here, Jesus. There could be a lot of converts. There could be a lot of people coming down the aisles. The buses will wait. He's got a large crowd. He's got his disciples. And he turns to them and he says this, these words. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I need to pray after that. Will you join me? Let's pray. Jesus, these, these words have got to make sense to us because they're nonsense. They seem to contradict the fifth commandment. Jesus, you're the one that tells us we're to love our enemies. Love those who are persecuting us. A new commandment that you give us that we're to love one another as you have loved us. And now we hear from your lips that we, to be your disciple or to hate our father, our mother, our wives, our children, our brothers and sisters. What in the world are you talking about? Father, I confess that I have such a finite mind and such spiritual dimness that I cannot unpack this the way it needs to be unpacked. So we ask again today for your glory, for the health of your church, for every ear and soul that is here, that you would speak and make sense out of what seems like nonsense. That you'd be pleased to use a broken sinner to communicate hard truth. And we know this. If it's truth, it's good for us. And we need it. And the worst thing we could do is run from it. So Father, open up our ears to hear Jesus. Spirit, illumine our minds so we can understand God's word. Triune God, take our heart afresh. Remove the stony unbelief sinfulness and give us a heart of flesh that can beat and understand for your glory and what it means to love you this much. And Father, if we, if we just hear and if this is just an information dump and we just get some more knowledge 
and we don't walk out of here different, we've wasted our time. So we ask that you would empower our feet to walk in a manner worthy of this truth. God, I ask that you would be gracious this morning. That you would please lovingly lead us to repentance. That you'll be a hammer where you need to be a hammer. And you will be a tender warrior where you need to be a tender warrior. We're yours. We fall into your hands. We ask you to do your work. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to talk about three things as we begin. What in the world is Jesus saying? Why is he saying it? And what does he do personally to alleviate the problem? Okay? And then after we look at what in the world and why in the world and how did he fix it, we're going to look a little bit at our own families and ask some tough questions and say, are our families out of focus or not? And are we carrying our cross? The first thing is this. What is Jesus really saying? This whole section of Luke is dealing with the cost of the discipleship. And Jesus is dealing with, very specifically, what is the cost of this free, gracious gift? What is the cost of following Jesus? So we have to see this through the lens of Scripture, where it is that what he is saying is really dealing with the cost of following Jesus. And I love, I love, I love how transparent my Savior is. He's not soft-selling anything. Look again, there's a crowd there. He has every reason to do what oftentimes the American church has done with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Strip it down of anything that's offensive. Make it vanilla and present it in a way that everybody can accept and no one could be offended. It's not Jesus. It's not Jesus. It's not the gospel. The gospel is offensive at times. And he's not going to soft sell it. And you know what? I love that about him. I love it about him that he's going to deal straight with us even with a crowd, hit us right between the eyes and say, you know what, we're going to talk about cost of discipleship and I'm going to use some words that are pretty harsh. And that's what he does. Now there is a difficulty here because we want to start to ask the question, is Jesus contradicting the the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment to honor your father and mother? We would know immediately, no, there's got to be an explanation If Jesus is contradicting himself, he's no longer sinless, he's not a savior, we don't want to know him. So, what is he saying here? And really what he is saying is this, that we, our love for anything, our love for anything, even good things like love for family, our love for anything that is above loving Jesus, loving the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is wrong. That's what he's saying. You say, if you have a love for anything, even good things like your wife and your children and your mom and your dad and your brothers and your sisters, anything and all, if you love them more than you love me, it's wrong. And what he's doing here is he's using love in comparison with one another, that he's using the word hate. It's really, it's really, uh, it's, an, it's a genius way of saying if you love them more, the love for me should be such that it looks like the love for your parent is hate comparatively. Does that make sense? I didn't say it very well. It's really a love comparison that it should be, it should look like hate. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 29. In Genesis 29, we have the story of Jacob. 
And we, in, in the story of Jacob, we hear that Jacob has uh, gone uh, to uh, uh, back home uh, to receive a wife. He's worked hard for the one he loves, Rachel. Uh, there's a trick by Laban. He got Leah. Uh, and so he had to work another seven years for both of them. And it talks about the way that Jacob loved Rachel and the way that Jacob loved Leah. And the way he loved Rachel was so much so that he loved Rachel as the apple of his eye, as his heart flutters, that it looked like he hated Leah in comparison. It was a comparison love. Genesis 29.30 says this, Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Now, when verse 31 in the TNIV translated, when the Lord saw that Rachel was not loved, and again in verse 30 we see that there's a comparative love here. Do you know what the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uses to describe the word not loved? It's hated. It's the very same word that Jesus uses. So we can see, what is Jesus saying? He is saying a comparative love. The way you love Jesus in comparison with the way you love anything else should look like you so much love the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. You so much love the Son of God made flesh. You are so much in love with God that everything else is pale in comparison to that love. Again, we need to realize that too much of a good thing, too much loving of a good thing, even our families can be bad. And that's what he's saying. That is the what Jesus is really saying. Why is Jesus saying this? Because loving our families over Jesus, loving our families more than the triune God, loving our families more than God is idolatrous. It's idolatry. It's clearly a breaking of the second commandment. What is idolatry? I mean, we read through the Old Testament and you read about idols and it seems so weird and funky and way back then. You know, we don't make uh, ourselves God out of wood and gold or maybe we do. Maybe they're more like cars and status and power. But here's a real definition that I'm using about idolatry. What is idolatry? It's anything we set our affections on above God. Anything we set our affections upon over God. Anything. Anything that we set our love and heart on above God. What did God say? Love me with what? Your, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The number one commandment is this love affair. What Jesus is saying, you know what he's saying? He's saying, love me. Unbelievably, And we're going to see how much he shows us how he loves us. Why is he saying this? Well, according to Luke, and Luke wrote the gospel here of Luke, he also wrote the uh, book of Acts in the New Testament. Matter of fact, Luke is going to write more of the New Testament than any other writer. Paul writes more books, but the volume of Luke's work is mostly seen in the, Old, in the New Testament. Did I say Old Testament? If I did, I, I was wrong. New Testament. But Luke is going to use the word disciple and Christian interchangeable. Okay, 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 Jeff, just slow down. Luke is using the word Christian and disciple interchangeable. So when he tells us 
that anyone who wants to be my disciple, he's telling us, anyone who wants to follow Christ, he's telling us, anyone who wants to be a believer, this is applicable. Some of you may be here saying, well, this, this is for those superstar Christians. This is for, you know, Jeff and the paid staff and those elders and deacons and those really zealous folks. This isn't really for me. No, this is for you. For all of you who call Jesus Lord, Savior, who say to the Father, Father, this is for you. Now let me ask, what did Jesus do to rescue us from this? Because Jesus knows this is idolatry, and we've got to see the beauty of the gospel. And again, we'll unpack this a little bit more in a few minutes. But listen, this is incredible. What did Jesus do? He came here on earth to show us an incredible life-giving love. And Jesus, on the cross, is going to lose focus with the Father. My God, my God, why have you turned your back on me? I can't see. Why have you forsaken me? Jesus on the cross loses focus with the Father so that you and I never have to. And that is really, really good news. You see, the most gracious thing that Jesus could do, the most loving and gracious thing that Jesus could do is to come here and say, your focus shouldn't be on yourself. Your focus shouldn't even be on your family. Listen, the most gracious and loving thing that Jesus could do is say your focus should be on the Almighty One, the great I Am. That is where we should look for our life, our identity. There should be our focus. And He's come to realign our focus. So the question is for us, are our families out of focus? I want to say that Orangewood, I believe our greatest sin, and I'm starting with idolatry, is the idolatry of our family, the idolatrous focus on our families. Does our love for our family focus our love for God? Do we start with our family and love them? So, and I do. I mean, they're, they're, they're my pride and joy. I love them. You see them every week. I love them. But am I allowing that love? Are you allowing that love to focus your view of God? Or does our love for God focus our love and understanding of our, fa- of our families. Matthew Henry, a, a Puritan preacher, wrote these words, Our comfort and satisfaction in them, our family, must be lost and swallowed up in our love to Christ. Our love for Christ should be so much greater in comparison that really it's, it's, his, it's his name that we care about the most. We don't want to have his knees skinned we don't want to have his name defamed. We want to make sure that his name is famous. That our comfort and satisfaction in our family is lost and swallowed up in Christ. Listen, fathers, especially the head of your homes, the greatest thing you could do to love your family, the greatest thing you could do for your family, fathers, mothers, grandparents, children, the greatest thing that we could do for our families, the greatest thing is to love God most. It's to seek Him first. It's to put His name and His fame and His glory above you, your family, and everyone else. That's the most loving thing you could do for your family. The most loving thing is to bring them in the arms of faith to Jesus and to love Him most. You see, what we've got to realize is very, very important, it's very humbling, is that we are not the most important thing to God. <laughs> 
We're very, very important to God. He so loves us that He's given us His image. He so loved us that He's rescued us through the death of His Son. He so loved us that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. But we aren't the most important thing to Him. What is the most important thing to God? God. He is. Now, this is a little bit theologically tricky, but I think if you lean in and you get this, it makes sense. You see... If God were to love us, something lesser than who he is, more than he loves himself and his glory, he'd break the second commandment of idolatry. He'd be a sinner. Because he would be loving something less instead of loving the most important himself. That's why God does things for his own glory. It's the greatest, most loving thing he can do. We are not the most important thing to God. He is. And we shouldn't believe that we and our families are the most important things to ourselves. Our family should not be the most important things to us. We should be seeking first the kingdom of God with our families. All right, let's, 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 let's go. Let me put the helmet on. We should be saying no to so many things. Because of the love of God. We should not have certain events on Sundays that we do. Church has become the most optional thing in our daytimers that we have all week long. I guarantee you, if your kid has a baseball practice, they're showing up. I guarantee you, if they have a piano recital, they're going to be there. I know they'll be at school. I know that you will keep your appointments with those who are important to you. We have an appointment every Sunday with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's here. And yet, we live in a society that seems so flippant. If I miss, I miss. If I go, I go. It's just kind of, you know, it's up to me. It's up to my family. My family schedule didn't like it. I only have Friday or Sundays now. It's our family rest day. And listen, guilty is charged. It's hard for me too. I don't want my kids to miss out anything. But tell me the truth. Is not Sunday the most... Uh, easily miss? Is not church the easiest thing off your schedules? I'm probably talking to the wrong people because you're here today. <laughs> the unwillingness to carry our cross. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to deny yourself. You're going to pick up your cross and follow me. What does it mean to pick up the cross, taking up the cross? It means that we, Orangewood, are going to put Jesus above our family schedules. Taking up our cross, a few questions I have for you. Are we praying? Are we praying for our families and for our children, or are we praying? Are we praying that God uses our families for his glory? Are we praying and manipulating every situation to make sure that little Johnny and little Susie don't get in trouble and they don't have it good here and we're going to try to protect them all from anything bad in the world and we're going to try to, as if, can God use some tough stuff in our kids' lives? Is he not going to redeem it? I mean, are we supposed to run ahead of them and just kind of knock down anything in the world that's bad for them, little Johnny and Susie, so they never get hurt? Is that really, or are we on our knees before a sovereign God who, who controls all things and we're pleading, saying, God, whatever it takes, change their heart. Whatever it takes, make them be lovers of Jesus. Parents, that's our call. 
It's not to run ahead of them and pry and manipulate. It's to beg that God would redeem every situation for his glory. Are we modeling or are we meddling? Are we modeling a life of sacrifice to our kids? What can they look at, parents, in our lives and say, that's where my mom and dad sacrificed for Jesus. That's where they're picking up their cross. It's clear. That's where they, it's just, wow, it's amazing. It's amazing, the sacrifice. My parents could do this and that. They don't do it. They put Jesus first. Are we modeling that or are we meddling? Anybody else in pain yet? I think that we meddle so much in our kids' lives. And, you know, we just, we have so much of the world by the tail. And, and I want the best for my kids, too. And sometimes it looks like that we're just going to pick the right teachers and the right situation and meddle in this and meddle in that. And, and what are we saying to God? Forget you, God. You're not really sovereign. i got to be God of their life. When duty to parent, spouse, child comes in competition with our evident duty to Christ, we must always give Christ preference. If the love of ourselves and our family burdens us from following Christ, we must resist it. We must rather lose the favor of a coach, of a, of a teacher, of a community leader, than lose the favor and the witness of the Father. And I really believe the root of this sin is a lack of trust. I, I, can you join me with this? I'm saying, God, what's the root of this? Why don't I want to do this? And what the Spirit is telling me is the root of this is that I really don't trust that following Jesus is best for my family. I just want them a little bit a part of the mix. It's just don't get in the way. You see, we pick and choose what's best. And oftentimes, it's not Jesus. We have this life-giving focus of the gospel. Let me, I can't leave you without good news. And it's this. Our focus needs to start with the cross. It needs to start with the cross. A God who's going to love us enough to rescue us. A God who's going to say, listen, you can't focus on yourself and your family because it's all blurred and it's idolatrous. I'm going to give you the privilege of focusing on the glory and the beauty of God. And the only way that that happens is is that the God that we know becomes flesh. His name is Jesus. He lives among us. He never loses focus with the Father. Well, I'm here to do my Father's will. I'm going to do nothing but what He tells me. It's all I'm going to do is what for my Father's glory. I'm here to do His business. I'm here for Him. And I'm going to lose complete focus on Him on that cross. I'm going to cry out for the first time of all eternity, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we never have to lose that focus. So we could focus on him and say, I'm a sinner that's been saved. And I'm a dad who doesn't get it. And I've focused on my family to the expense of focusing on God. And I continually do it. But he's not losing focus on me. I'm going to focus on that cross. I'm going to pick it up daily. I'm going to follow him. And I'm going to ask God, God, you shape my family. God, you you do it your way. I'm going to pray and I'm not going to pry. I want to model, I don't want to meddle. All for the glory of the king. That's a family that our community wants to see. It's a family honoring the king. It should give us reason to sing. I don't know what to do. You guys want to sing? It's 12.02. You got family dinner plans. And I really, you know what I want to do? I mean, I want to say, let's just sing one. 
And we got to sing them both. Because the first one is, listen, we think about the cross. We want to say, how can I keep from singing? And then we're going to sing a song that's kind of loud, and I love it. It's, it's, there's no one like you. Is it really true? So let me close this in prayer, and we'll have the worship team back here. And um, I'm sorry it's afternoon, but uh, let's pray. And Father, it is uh, going to be a really, really difficult ride for 10 weeks. Because the Spirit of the living God is going to have to remind me of all the things that I say here this morning that I'm not living. And God, I, I, I just acknowledge that. I, do, I'm, I need Jesus so badly. And Father, you know how much I love these folks. You, you, they're my friends. They're, they're, they're my sheep. And Lord, would you do that which only you can do? Would you just tenderly, <laughs> tenderly be a velvet hammer? We want our families. We want our families to be honoring to you. Jesus, show yourself to be so beautiful that you take our eyes off of ourselves and our families. We place them on you. God, we ask your forgiveness. We're out of, we're out of balance. We're out of focus. We focus on the family ex- at the expense of Jesus. Spirit of living God, thanks for loving us in the midst of this. Lead us on, O King Eternal. Thank you that there's nothing like you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing.